Good morning on this Thursday morning. Welcome to our devotional, Golden Nuggets, Food for Thought and for the Imagination. Yesterday, we left off with uh, King Ahab of Israel and his wife Jezebel, how they had, uh, well, how basically Jezebel had plotted to uh, have uh, Nahab uh, killed so that she could get his vineyard and give it to Ahab. And when he was confronted by the prophet concerning what he had done, uh, he repented. His conscience uh, actually was still able to, in the midst of all the wickedness and the evil that he had done, when the word of God came, it was alive, it was quick, it was sharper than any two-edged sword, and it unveiled, it revealed that his heart, or what was in his heart, nothing nothing was kept uh, a secret. It totally was bare before the Lord, and uh, the the prophecy was uh, of what the Lord was going to do, but it wouldn't come during the days uh, of him being king, but during the days of his his son's reign. The next stories we want to look at, we want to look at Jesus and the uh, the woman that was caught in adultery and also the prodigal son. I don't know how far we'll get today, but uh, if we don't get to finish today, we'll be looking at that in the book of Luke in chapter 15. Now, in John chapter 8, verse 1 onward, it says, And Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning... He came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Jesus is a teacher. He was the master, and he taught. He was a rabbi, or they called him rabbi, meaning one that teaches. The Holy Spirit has been sent to our lives to teach. It's a continual process. It does not stop. We do not get to graduate uh, as as we could say and say, okay, well, that's it. You know, I'm done. But we continue up until the day the Lord calls our name and we are taken uh, to be with him. We continue to be taught. We continue to learn. We're talking the vastness, the greatness, the uh, the 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 majesty of our God, we cannot comprehend it and learn it in 20 years, 40 years, 50 years, even in 100 years. It takes eternity, a lifetime of eternity for us to be able to experience and know the fellowship with our God, with our Heavenly Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Now, keeping that in mind, the importance of both Jesus teaching and the Holy Spirit teaching because it's going to be brought up. Now, this woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, it wasn't so much the issue of what she had done, but it was the Pharisees looking for a way to test, a way to tempt Jesus. But in this story, we have one of the clearest set examples of conscience working, of that which was set in man in the very beginning. Man activated it by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or the tree of conscience, as some have called it. And because of that, man was now being guided by his conscience, 
conscience can be defiled. It can be uh, made wicked. It can be made evil. Just as it can be made good, it can be made righteous. It can be made holy and pure. The only way that is accomplished is by and through the blood of Christ. We cannot leave the blood out. It doesn't matter. Uh, psychiatrists and psychologists and people that deal with behavioral sciences. I mean, they do what they do. They've learned what they've learned. But man is a spirit being. Man is a spirit being. Possessing a soul and living in a physical body. And uh, because of that, then we must understand man from the point of view of how God created him. And because of that, man is limited in dealing with guilt. He can go through certain processes. He can go through different phases. But the way that we truly 100% before God deal with our conscience and any and all guilt is by repentance and by the blood of Christ. So let's see this taught in the story. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, these are the guys that were the masters of the law, brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, and had and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now of course, if people preach or teach uh, along these lines, they'll be saying, well, you know, where was the man? You know, how come he wasn't brought? Uh, if it was both of them in the very act, uh, you know, how, how did all of this take place? We're not told. But the basic thing that we have to understand is that the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, they wanted to test Jesus. They wanted to catch him in something. And because they knew the law, not necessarily followed it or kept it or obeyed it, but because they knew the law, they were trying to use the law against Christ. Now it says, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Now remember, Jesus, when he appeared on the scene, he would tell them, you have heard it said, whether by tradition, by custom, by repetition, by whatever means, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Or he would say, have you not read? Meaning they had read something, but not read everything that was associated with that. And therefore they couldn't get a clear cut interpretation. And it's no different today. Many times we're uh, sideswiped by a certain uh, verse in the scripture. And it takes the whole counsel of the word of God that is written, not the whole mind of God, but the whole counsel of God that is written for us to be able to interpret scripture with scripture. And uh, these individuals came right out and they said, hey, the law says stone her. In other words, uh, she needs to be put to death. But once again, as I've mentioned, where's the man? They were supposed to stone the man too. They were supposed to have brought both of them and have dealt with them. Somehow or another, 
I don't know, just out of curiosity? Is it possible that one of them was a Pharisee or a scribe that was caught in the act and they didn't want to have to deal with that, but just use this woman to try to test Jesus? It says in verse number 8, And this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. How interesting how they had become instruments of the devil because he is the accuser of the brethren. He is the accuser that is constantly accusing us before God, saying they're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty. Look what they've done, look what they're doing, look what they did. And it's a constant hassle, harassment of the enemy bringing back our past. But if we have totally and honestly trusted in the blood of Christ, our past is under the blood. If we have committed it to him, if we have placed our sins in the hands of the master and let the blood of Christ wash them away, they are dealt with once and forever. For the enemy to continually uh, guide our lives by the use of guilt and having, having the echo just ring in our ears of, well, maybe if I should have done this, or if I could have done it different, the what if, the could have, the should have, the would have, all of these things are brought to mind. And then, of course, uh, one just simply does a vicious circle of going round and round and round of I should have prayed more, I should have been more holy, I should have studied the Bible more, I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that. And we go through life bearing the guilt of our past, even sometimes still bearing the guilt of our present, even though we have come asking for God's mercy, asking for God's forgiveness, the enemy continues to accuse. And interestingly enough, Jesus did not say a word to them. One, he knew it was a temptation. He knew that they were trying to trap him. He knew that it really had not anything to do with the woman, but it had to do with how they could catch him and find fault in him. They refused to believe that he was the Son of God. They refused to accept that he was sent of God. They refused to accept the works and the words that the Father had sent him to do. And they would even say that he was possessed of a devil, that he had a devil in him. That's how he did the mighty works that he did. They accused him of all these things. That is his beginning. He has accused us. He accused God's word before Adam and Eve. He accused God before his throne in the very beginning when he fell. And in all of these things, that is his title that he has been given, the accuser. So do not fall into his trap. The word of God is quick, it's powerful, and it also, through and by the power of the Holy Spirit, is able to break any and all yokes of bondage whatsoever of what kind they may be in our lives. It says in verse number 6, And they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he had heard them not. Now, 
It has been said by some that the, the entire temple area, uh, the ground was not actually dirt, but it was uh, stone. It was, <clears throat> it was paved. If this be the case, Jesus was riding on stone, almost as if in the very beginning when the law was given to Moses, the finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments or the law on stone. And once again, we find him writing on stone, whether it actually engraved into the stone, whether it was burned into the stone, it doesn't say. But he wrote with his finger, which is also interesting because that means Jesus could read and write, able to read the, the law and write it also. And he wrote it on the ground and he acted like if he hadn't heard them. He was letting the Word of God work in their conscience, work in their hearts, work in their spirit man, work in their very soul. And it says in verse number 7, So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he stooped again down and he wrote on the ground. This time, it's almost like as, okay, I'm, I'm going to let the word of God deal with you. Whatever he wrote on the ground the first time, they either could have seen it or read it. Who knows what it was. And then he speaks the word of God. This is what the Father spoke to Jesus to say to them. He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And he stooped down and he wrote on the ground again. And he wrote on the ground. So once again, we see that he gave time for the word of God as they heard it. Now, in verse number nine, this is the clencher of them all. And they which heard it, they heard what Jesus said, what Jesus spoke unto them, went out one by one. Uh, uh, it says, uh, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus lifted himself up and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? And we'll stop right there. Because the precious work of Jesus... In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now, 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 not tomorrow, not in the near future someday, but there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. Condemnation, they were accusing her and condemning her of a sin, which very possibly they themselves had been walking in and living in, 
And yet their own conscience, their own conscience accused them and let them know that they themselves were also in a state that needed forgiveness. Well, consider this food for thought and for the imagination. Do not let your conscience condemn you, but let your conscience guide you into a holy life by having it cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and you'll be able to distinguish truly between that which is right and that which is wrong. The Lord richly and fully bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.